0: Thank you so much for tuning in, and welcome, everyone. I hope you're well. I'm your host, Ben Lively, and you're listening to Shaken Awake, episode number 47. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in with us today, wherever you are and whatever you're doing right this very moment. And it means everything to me to uh, to share the messages that God lays on my heart to share with you. And as always, I promise you another great show but more than anything, my hope for you today and always is that you have an actual encounter with the Lord, not just another podcast episode. And a quick ask, if I could, uh, if you found value in these episodes, would you take 30 seconds after the show to uh, to go to submit a quick review and a star rating in your app? Uh, this is what uh, potential listeners look for uh, when deciding whether or not to give a show a listen, which is confirmation from other listeners like you uh, that that it can bring value. Uh, Would you do that for me if and only if you find value in these episodes? I can't thank you enough. So without further delay, let's get ready to invite God with us right here, right now, and allow him to speak directly to your hearts and minds. So today's topic is, does the world recognize you as a Christian or one of them? You know, my whole life I've heard the phrase "in the world, but not of it." Right? Sound familiar? But like many sayings or or quotes, unless they're earth shattering or life changing, I can simply move on from them and just forget by the very next day. You know, this this had always been one of them. My simple mind thought, you know, of course I'm a, I'm a Christian living in a fallen world makes sense. Uh, move on, right? However, there's more conviction and power in this one phrase or quote than you could ever imagine, or at least that I could have ever thought or imagined. you see, today we're going to see very quickly how deep and meaningful this is to God, how deep this rabbit hole goes and what this means to your existence while on earth and where you end up after this life. Yes, you heard me correctly. All that is contained in the meaning behind this quote. And it's all biblically sound and has been right in front of our noses our entire, our, in, in our entire lives. It's in the Bible, God's very word. So today I pray that the Holy Spirit holds a spiritual mirror up to your face and allows you to look in it and see yourself how he sees you. For he searches your heart where everything flows from. And I want you to see yourself how God sees you based on what he has told us So here we go. I never knew how much God hated the world and everything in it and of it until he told me by his word. And James 4.4 says it very well. Uh, Adulterers and adulteresses, do do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. What does that mean? You know, since God loves people and wants to draw them back to himself and save and help them, such as it says in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible tells us little about Jesus' life until he was 30. But we can assume that he lived among people in a normal way. You know, people thought of him as the carpenter's son. He didn't live, like, apart from people. You know, in fact, during the the, the three years of his public ministry, he got to be known as a friend of tax collectors and sinners, as you know. It, it speaks to that in Matthew eleven nineteen. 19. But he certainly wasn't a friend of the world. So what's the world, right? So with this in mind, what is the phrase Friendship with the world is enmity with God actually mean? Well, in order to properly understand this, let's go back to the beginning of the world. You know, in Genesis 131, it says, then God saw everything that he made and indeed it was very good. Well, something must have changed then for James to write this warning. You know, that's something is explained in Genesis three concerning mankind's disobedience and our fall into sin and the terrible changes that this brought about. You know, just three chapters later in Genesis uh, six five, it says, "Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually." What an awful development, right? In the the beginning, um, Adam and Eve only had to do with God and were influenced by his spirit and all that was good. But by listening to the serpent or Satan, they were influenced by a proud, wicked spirit. They chose to disobey God and they fell into sin and uh, and separation from God. So love for God, uh, his commandments and all that is good was replaced by love for self. You know, this egotism, this desiring to get whatever I want, think, or see, regardless of what is right or wrong, and living by my own pride, this infiltrated all mankind. This is the world. And it's not out there somewhere, it's inside of every human being. The Bible calls this human nature. After the fall, quote unquote, the flesh. And this has affected every person in the world. Satan's spirit is now the main influence in the world. He who is the enemy of God and mankind. It's written in Ephesians 2, 2 to 3. And it says, according to the prince of the power of the air... The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Simply put, human beings became hopelessly lost in sin with no way out. And therefore, God, in his great love for us, sent Jesus to save us. We have examples in John three sixteen and, and Romans five eight. Jesus became a human being and, as a man, was subject, uh, subjected to all the weakness we have. He could be and was tempted just like us, as it shows in Hebrew, Hebrews four fifteen. But in these temptations, he fought against and overcame the lust in the flesh. He did this every day, and he cried out just before he died: "It is finished." The way back to God was now made, but each person must choose for themselves. That's you and I, what they will do. What will we do? Will you be honest about your state and acknowledge your own personal need for a savior to help you overcome the world of sin inside yourself? Or will you deceive yourself and pretend all is well and continue living a lie? I know I once did. So so what is friendship with the world? Friendship with the world means going along with, um, living in, agreeing with, and loving the lusts of the flesh and driving spirit behind them. Self, self, self. You can't do that and be a friend of God. The only way to be God's friend is to turn away from sin, to turn to Jesus, and give him your whole heart and follow him. It is to hate the lusts of the flesh all egotism, pride, and evil, and to love what God loves, which is all that is good, pure, noble, and lovely. You know, the verses in 1 John two fifteen to 17 make this crystal clear. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world... The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So when we give our, our hearts and our lives back to God through his son, Jesus Christ, and begin to follow him in obedience, God's Holy Spirit fills us and leads us. So the more we're freed from the lusts of our flesh, which is self, self, and self, right? The more love, joy, peace, and everything else that is good fills us. We're filled with love for God and for people, and we want to help people like we have been helped. You know, Next is one that personally convicted me as well. They all have along the way. Thanks to God and the Holy Spirit for wisdom, conviction, and correction. So all three of these books of the Bible say the same thing which I was absolutely guilty of. They were speaking directly about me. Isaiah 29, 13. And the Lord said, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Ezekiel one thirty three verse 31. And they come to you as people come, and they sit before you as my people, as they hear, what you say, but they will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths, they act. Their heart is set on their game. Lastly, Matthew 15, seven and nine. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You know, I know the message Bible, Whether you agree or like that version of the Bible or not, is known to be not a word-for-word translation of the original manuscripts, uh, but more of a paraphrasing version of the Bible. But I'm going to use the same in that Bible to sum up these three similar verses to put into perspective what it would sound like today. Same meaning, but it may hit your heart a little bit differently with the same intent Jesus meant for it too. So in the Message Bible, right, Matthew 3 to 9, but Jesus put it right back on them. Why do you use your rules to play fast and loose with God's commands? God clearly says, respect your father and mother. And anyone denouncing father or mother should be killed. But you weasel around that by saying, whoever wants to can say to a father and mother, what I owed to you, I've given to God that can hardly be called respecting a parent. You cancel God's commands by your roles, you frauds. Isaiah's prophecy of you hit the bullseye. These people make a big show of saying the right thing, but their heart isn't in it. They act like they're worshiping me, but they don't mean it. They just use me as a cover for teaching whatever suits their fancy. Does this describe you? It sure did me. And this described me when I was at my quote-unquote best in life, when I thought I was a Christian. Man, I couldn't have been further away from the truth. And these verses absolutely prove it. This helped me uh, just gain a better perspective and a self-conviction. You know, remember the mirror and the scales never lie. And neither does God. Next one that is uh, that in my Bible study just the other night, as God always does, He places wisdom in front of me that He wants me to use in this podcast. And so we're we're beyond coincidences at this point, of which there there are none in life. This was important for me to see again and to include in today's show as this directly relates to whether we live like the world or we don't. and then what will happen to those that do or don't? So Matthew 25, 14 to 30. This is from the ESV, English Standard Version. It's the parable of the talents. And you may have heard this before. Let's hear it again. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. So he gave five, two, and one away to three people, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I made five more, five talents more. His his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered me two talents here. I've made two more talents. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, give it to the one who has the 10 talents for to everyone who has will, uh, who has will be given uh, more and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he does have will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what does the parable of the talents mean? The master of this parable is clearly meant to represent Jesus. The servants are Christ's followers. They're you and I. Similar to the parable, Jesus has also given responsible to you and I as followers. And similar to the parable, he, the master, has promised to one day return. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he told his disciples, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. That's John 14, 3. But just because Jesus is physically absent from the earth... Doesn't mean you and I, his followers, are given the freedom to just sit back and do nothing. So, just like the master in the parable, Jesus has entrusted you and I, his servants, with spreading the gospel. It's Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Also forgiving those who have wronged us. Matthew 6, 14 to 15. Also loving others. John 13, 34 to 35. Caring for his church. John 21, 17, being an example to the world. Matthew 14, 13 to 16, feeding the hungry and thirsty. We'll get to that in a moment. That's Matthew 25, 25, caring for the poor, the prisoner and the sick, being hospitable to foreigners and outsiders. It's all in Matthew 25. Jesus has made Christians participants in his ministry. We're also stewards of the thing Christ values most. It's, it's like a parent handing his kids the keys to the car or a boss entrusting the management of his company to his valued employee. You know, Jesus has entrusted his followers, that's you and I, with his greatest treasures, making us the caretakers of his ministry and commissioned ambassadors of his mission. You know, this is a, a, an incredible uh, responsibility one Christ followers should should take seriously. We all need to take this seriously. A wise and faithful steward will be faithful with his master's money and take care of what he's been given because he knows the master will eventually re, uh, return. They know they're not only borrowing the car or you know temporarily managing their master's business, but more than just protecting their master's wealth or possessions. A good steward, you and I, will also find ways to grow and improve it. So for us, for the Christian, this can apply to our time, our time, our money, our body, and even our abilities. A, you know, a believer who sees these things as, as as a borrowed investment belonging to God and needing to be returned will be motivated to treat them with with care and intention. You know, in the parable, the wise servants knew that their master would return, and they were motivated to grow his investment with the time and money they were given, big or small. You know, they, they made it count and they were eager to hand back all they had earned. But, you know, fearful of his master, the lazy servant did nothing with his master's money and buried it, buried it in the ground. He saw his master as a cruel taskmaster, the judge, right? Not a generous, gracious lord. He didn't take joy. In the promise of the master's return, but instead wasted his time, wasted his opportunities, and wasted the master's money. He saw no growth and no return as a result. So then what is the reward for the faithful steward? Scripture promises that Jesus will one day return, return, and when he does, he will ask his servants to give a report on how they spent the time and opportunity he gave them. Did they care for those who were instructed to protect Did they provide for those in need? Did they share the good news of Christ's uh, salvation and forgiveness with others? Did they further the kingdom of God in their ministry? Were they faithful uh, stewards of all God entrusted them with? That's you and I. As, As Jesus said, to the extent that you did it to one of these, my brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. And we'll get to that in a moment. That's from Matthew 25. Those who are faithful with what, they've, uh, what they're entrusted with, big and small, will be trusted with more. And Jesus said, they're the ones who will enter into the master's joy and share in the glory of his presence. That was Matthew 25, 21. Those who are not face the harsh reality of being called a wicked and lazy servant. Worst of all, They may not share in the joy of their master's presence when he returns. They may very well be the one of the many that he tells to depart from me. So what does all this mean? You know, both outcomes should motivate you and I, Christ followers, to become more intentional with our time and the master's talents. One day, the master will return and when he does, he'll want to know what we've done with this precious life we've been given. Were we good stewards of what belonged to him? Did we grow his investment? Or did we bury our time, talent, and opportunities? It's up to us to decide, but we better decide quickly. The master is planning his return and he'll be back at any moment. You know, another which I've said we'd come back to is is just like the others, but just as convicting and convincing. Matthew 25, 31 to 46 when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he'll sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. That's you and I. And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance and, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For when I was hungry and you uh, you gave me something to eat, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me and I was in prison and you came to visit me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we... See you as a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you. When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and the angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison. You did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or or, or needing clothes or sick or in prison and, and did not help you? And he will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these you did not do for me, then they will go away to eternal punishment but the righteous will go to eternal life so for those of you that may be a bit confused on how that may re, uh, relate to us in the here and now you know the use of the shepherding terminology is why this is referred to as the parable of the sheep and goats so so what it depicts however is is very very real the first group is praised and rewarded since their faithful love for others has proven their faithful obedience to Christ. Their description basically echoes other biblical passages about salvation and election. These people are not saved by their good deeds, but their good deeds prove that they do indeed have a saving faith in Christ. It explains that in John fourteen fifteen, Loving other people and meeting their needs is treated by Christ as if those deeds had been done for him personally. In contrast, the other group, right, exhibited deeds which prove they do not have saving faith in Christ. Jesus will condemn them to the eternal fire originally intended for Satan and the demons. You know, that group of unbelievers did not serve others during their time of greatest need. Jesus takes that personally as well. As with the first group, the goats echo back, Jesus' judgment, but but more of an excuse than in confusion. It was more like, a, if we had known it was you, you know, they, they might as well have been saying. That, however, does not change their sin. Their actions have proven their lack of faith. And it states so in, in 1 John 4:20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. I'm going to repeat that again. 1 John 4.20, if anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And so they are damned to a horrific eternal fate. Hell. Therefore, to separate those of the world from those who are in the world, but not of it, who will enter into the kingdom of heaven, consider the following three verses to be our guide. You know, there's a lot more. There's many more. But here are three, but a powerful three. So Matthew 7, 21 says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father who is in heaven. In Ephesians five fifteen 15-17, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Lastly, Matthew twenty two thirty four 34-40, but when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, They were gathered together, then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him, Jesus, and saying, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. So, in closing, my final statement is: is this? Although there are many other teachings and uh, wisdom to be gained in in God's Word. On what we discussed today, we can clearly see that the roadmap from where we might stand on this topic with today, uh, with God today, versus where we should be standing with God today, which leads me to my final uh, question. My final question is this. When you hold the spiritual mirror up to your face, and by the way, it's called the Holy Bible, what do you see in its reflection Do you see the world or the resemblance of Christ? So before we end today's show, I just want to thank you all again for tuning in. I hope you were touched by today's message in scripture. If you'd like to reach out to me, please call me directly at 407-493-3208. You can email me at ben at shaken-awake.com or check out the show at shaken-awake.com. So next week, Tune in next Sunday or whenever you're able as we discuss five ways to tune the world out and focus on what really matters. So next week's episode is another powerful and do not miss episode. Thank you all for joining. Until next week, take great care of yourself and each other, and God bless you all.